Hello, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top End Devs and Envoy. Top End Devs is where we create top end devs who get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy, which offers performance based web developments, so clients only pay when tasks are delivered. In today's episode, we will talk about enterprise applications with Angular. My name is Lucas Paganini. I am the CEO of Envoyed and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is our lovely Subret Mishra. Hello. And a very special guest, Dohan Uluka. Dohan Uluka is a principal fellow at Excella in Washington, D.C., leading strategic initiatives and delivering critical systems. He is an industry-recognized expert with technical knowledge in usability, mobility, performance, scalability, cybersecurity, and architecture. Dohan is the author of the best-selling Angular for Enterprise books, speaker at more than 30 conferences, and an Angular Google Developer Expert alumni. Dohan has delivered solutions for Silicon Valley startups, Fortune, 500, Fortune 50 companies, and U.S. federal government. Dohan is passionate about contributing to open source projects and teaching. He enjoys building Lego, playing Go, traveling, and just overall being better than me in everything that he does. So <laughs> he is here today. <laughs> so that we can talk about um, what enterprises think when they are deciding which technologies they're going to use and how Angular fits into that scene. So, yeah, though, um, I think there are multiple different paths in, we can, in which we can go, but you are the expert here. I mean, you wrote the book on that subject. So uh, I will let you introduce and then we'll take it from from where you take us <laughs> all right thank, thank you so much um lucas um so yeah that's uh, uh you know using angular for the enterprise is, is a topic that i've been uh you know engaged in for a really long time now and uh, and over the years uh leading you know, teams of developers, my, my priority has always been optimizing the technical solution. You know, one, of course, to meet the business need, uh, but uh, also uh, for the developer experience, uh, DevEx. Uh, it, it's an increasingly important uh, topic. Uh, you know, recently Google updated the their uh, DevOps uh, resource program, uh, Dora Metrics, to kind of highlight the the well-being of team members uh, being a, a very critical factor uh, in the success of a, of a project uh, and uh, and and you know as a result of that the organization so uh, I, I think it's really important uh, for technical leaders to pick tools you know that they can depend on uh, but also that makes their developers their teams happy uh, to, to to work with uh, so that's that's been kind of like my uh, guiding, uh, uh, you know, guiding light uh, on uh, on my journey. So one of so one of the things that uh, I I always uh, 
think about is this uh, sinkhole effect. Uh, let, let me, you know, explain what what I mean by that. Uh, you know, of, of course, a sinkhole is a natural uh, phenomenon uh, that uh, where you know the ground uh, suddenly collapses to, to usually to devastating effect, revealing a, a giant hole, uh, and and this can happen, you know, right with a neighbor neighborhoods, uh, you know, sometimes houses get swallowed up. And, and the reason this happens is uh, kind of uh, water uh, underground goes and, you know, uh, you know, eats away at the, the, the material, but leaving the kind of the surface intact. Uh, you know, this happens especially when we pave over uh, the ground with the road. So it doesn't, you know, gradually sink and you can see it from the outside. But instead, it digs a giant hole underground, and then you know when there's you know enough enough pressure, it it collapses. Uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, you know I'm I'm not a I'm not a geologist and not a, not an ex- expert in sinkholes, uh, but I think it's a useful metaphor uh, to explain you know what happens uh, with long-lived projects, uh, which usually happen in the in, in an enterprise context. Uh, so, uh, you know people. Uh, you know, in general, uh, tend to be passionate about uh, technology if they're if they're coding. Uh, and in our industry, uh, it's kind of a both a blessing and a curse that there's so much new that happens all the time. Uh, so that's that's why uh, I think most of us, uh, you know, join this industry. There are lots of uh, people who who, who uh, you know career switch uh, also into it and. Uh, and and it's kind of fun uh, to keep up with you know everything that's coming out you know every uh, you know every week there's a there's a new framework or there's a new update uh, you know or there's a new pattern you know uh, you know someone is announcing or or or, or pushing out uh, but where I see uh, you know where this kind of uh, you know fast paced uh, environment can can hurt uh, people is uh, when uh, we bring these tools and technologies that are brand new into into our into the project that we're w- working on uh, for that uh, enterprise. So uh, uh, then, uh, you know that you know enthusiasm and excitement uh, over time creates a situation uh, where uh, there are uh, lots of different libraries. Uh, di- different patterns on different uh, sides of the projects that are that are being rolled out, uh, and then when something goes to production and the business is depending on it, uh, you know the sales are depending on it. The the performance of the 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 website uh, is usually directly related to the revenue that the company can generate from it. Uh, you know wh- whether it be uh, you know. So many milliseconds it takes to load up the page, uh, so someone get, doesn't get bored and goes away, or you lose a sale, uh, or being able to retain customers over time if your application becomes you know choppy, uh, slow uh, to render, uh, or uh, the the maintenance burden becomes so high that it becomes super expensive to add new features. You know we're all familiar with with those you know clunky uh, apps we're forced to use at work, uh, and they haven't changed. Uh, you know their feature set for the past ten years or something like that, and and we go scratching our heads. You know why is this happening? This is ridiculous. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, the you know the the reason I think this happens is is the sinkhole effect. It's it's basically uh, you know uh, 
kind of uncontrolled innovation uh, that that happens and and then creates this uh, uh, creates this effect. Then uh, once that collapse happens, it's it's usually you have to rewrite everything. Uh, so this is where uh, I've always been a, a fan of Angular uh, because uh, you know as as most people may already know, uh, you know Google uh, dog foods Angular, uh, which which means they uh, use Angular in thousands of apps, uh, you know, internally and externally. Uh, uh, so, you know, by the time the framework, you know, gets to us, it's already been uh, through its pace. So there's a level of uh, trust uh, that you can have in the in the framework. So yeah, this this is why I think, uh, uh, you know, from a, a high level technical uh, perspective, uh, you know, you know. When we join uh, companies, uh, you know, it could be a new job or a new project at a job. You know, usually that decision of what technology that's going to be used is is made by someone. Uh, it's it's made by a CTO or a, or a technical leader or an architect, and uh, it, it it always hurts me when uh, these decisions are made uh, because you know the CTO just read a cool blog post over the weekend, and you know they want to go with the 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 new hot you know technology uh, just because it's you know it's exciting and it's it promises the world uh, and, and you know I've I've seen uh, you know a lot of people hurt uh, you know because of those kinds of uh, rash decisions and uh, you know and you know what I mean when I say hurt you know we you know th- this means you know people being forced to work you know long hours uh, to to meet uh, business deadlines you know the undue stress that's caused uh, uh, and uh, it can also strain the relationships between your colleagues, uh, and and once you enter this kind of downward, uh, uh, you know, yeah, the downward spiral, uh, it, it it tends to amplify that ne- negativity. Uh, so, uh, you know, once once you kind of take a step back and realize, uh, you know, this all could have been avoided uh, because of some decision that was made uh, by someone who's not even going to, you know, work on the project, uh, it, it becomes uh, a bit disheartening. So, uh, so this is this is why why I kind of uh, I you know I want to encourage, you know, leaders, uh, technical leaders, to, uh, you know, kind of put their excitement aside and, and really make decisions. Based on, you know, uh, tools and technologies that are here today that are mature. Uh, of course, there's always a consideration. Okay, is this going to last me the next five years uh, or the next three years? You know, whatever the uh, the, the business uh, planning looks like there. Uh, you know, there's that question that needs to be asked. Uh, but uh, you know, once again, just going back, uh, you know, uh, why I think Angular is good. Uh, from that perspective, because you know we can depend on Angular still being there, uh, you know, three or five five years uh, from from today. So yeah, uh, that's kind of uh, uh, the the motivator of of why I write uh, my books. Uh, they are, you know, they're not easy. They're very hard uh, to put together. Uh, it's I think the second edition, which came out in 2020, uh, it was it. Uh, grew to be uh, 900 pages long, uh, which you know when you think about it, that's uh, uh, you know 300 blog posts, right? Uh, but but the difference is with blog posts, you can get away with um, 
you know, changing your mind, you know, every other week, you know, oh, you know, check out this cool thing. And then and next week, you know, or the next blog post, uh, you, you know, you can be like, yeah, this is a cool new thing, you know, but, you know, there are some caveats and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, with the book, you know, the whole thing has to make sense together. You know, you don't get to kind of, uh, you know, cheat your way through it. You know, what's being, you know, uh, what you're introducing in chapter one has still needs to be valid on chapter 10 when you're, you know, deploying uh, your application on AWS or, or, or you know, uh, wherever. Yeah, uh, I just said about, you know, if someone is deciding about technology, I would just like to go a little bit deeper on and try to ask you, like, you know, guide someone, like if someone is listening who has a authority to select a technology or to select a framework, what all things they should consider if they have a team or if they don't have a team and they will create, like, hire a team or recruit a team after what, after they select it. And just to extend Subrat's question, I think it would be, um, and, and first, you said so many interesting things. I think we could we could spend the entire rest of the podcast just expanding the points that you brought up because they were excellent. But yeah, I, I like what Subrat asked. But just to be clear, I would love to have your take on just a general approach to decide technologies, not just which front-end framework or, or something like that, but generally speaking, how to decide which technology to use in a safe way, long-term thinking, right? Because I have seen so many different suggestions of approaches. So for example, um, I've seen people saying, yeah, just do a hackathon and then divide the developers and teams and each team tech takes one technology and they do the thing with it. And then you compare and decide um, which one do you prefer. Um, but I see pros and cons with that. I've seen just, oh yeah, instead of le- of leaving that to the team, the architect needs to decide. But then sometimes the architect isn't so well versed in to the actual implementation of the thing. Although he is the architect, he's not the one that will be actually using the technology every day. So um, maybe this person can uh, slip some important informations and then the developers have to pay the price long-term. So yeah, I think there, and there are many other approaches too. So I would love to have your take on that since you are someone that actually studied how enterprises tackle those challenges. And I think that how the enterprise tackles is probably the most conservative way because they can't afford to make many mistakes. It's just too expensive. So, yeah. You'd be shocked uh, how <laughs> uh, reckless enterprises can be. Uh, the, the leadership might think that they're being uh, conservative, uh, but uh, this thing you mentioned that, you know, where the architect decides, but they may not be familiar with the, the ins, and, ins and outs of the, of the technology uh, is, is quite telling because, you know, that, that is ultimately what, what happens. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, deciding things by hackathon, uh, you know, if, if, if you're truly walking into it with no opinions of, okay, you know, we can either go A or B, uh, so let's do a hackathon to decide. Uh, I'm not quite sure what you're 
uh, what you're testing for uh, during that period. You know, there, there are so many variables. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you're you're at best, uh, you know, getting some information about, uh, you know, perhaps the the current capabilities of your team. Uh, you know, that doesn't, uh, you know, factor into what those capabilities should evolve into, uh, or uh, uh, you know, or uh, it also doesn't, you know, f- uh, factor in the fact that, you know, you know, perhaps not everyone has, you know, brought their top game that day. Uh, so it's it's really difficult to know what, you know, the outcome of a of a hackathon actually says. Uh, you know, of course there are, there are sometimes you know uh, outcomes where you know if you can do uh, something in one hour using a set of tools and then it takes the other team, you know, eight hours. Uh, like when you're talking about a, a, a huge difference like that, then uh, yeah, it's it's clear to to make a decision based off uh, based off of that. Um, so so yeah, you know the right tool for the for the right job, uh, right? You know, uh, as as technologists, as as you know, developers, as engineers, you know, our job is not to pick a framework and and champion it, you know, until uh, until you know our our last breath. Uh, it's it's absolutely the right tool for the right job. You know if we're doing something simple, then uh, you know Angular is overkill for that, right? Uh, you know perhaps the the right uh, answer is just you know uh, just your your regular HTML and CSS and and nothing else. Um, but uh, the the factors that go into deciding the technology in, in an enterprise context is, is usually a question of scale. Uh, you know, can this, uh, you know, scale from one team to, to be able to host multiple teams at, at once? Uh, and that determines the patterns and practices that you, you employ. Uh, and, uh, and in that patterns and practices you employ, you know, keeping them Similar or sameish, you know, within the organization also buys the organization a ton of flexibility, you know, one in terms of you know hiring new people uh, to those skill sets, but also uh, enabling that staff mobility, you know, within within the organization. Uh, because if one team is doing something crazy and wild that no one has heard of and has has seen, it's going to be really difficult to move, uh, you know, people in and out of that uh, that project. And and same goes with you know, hiring people, you know, whether you're trying to bring in a consultant or, uh, you know, you're trying to hire a, a full-time uh, employee or, or a contractor. Uh, if you're working with something uh, super, you know, niche and bespoke, uh, right, I, I usually try to give the example of, uh, you know, if you're trying to hire a Ferrari mechanic uh, versus if you're ha- trying to hire a, a Toyota mechanic, uh, right, uh, it's, uh, you know, the the hourly rate of that, you know, Honda mechanic or Toyota mechanic versus Ferrari mechanic is going to be slightly different. So, uh, uh, I, 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 I try to, uh, you know, with every project I, I kickstart in a, in a new organization, uh, uh, that's the example I try to give. Like, I, I want you to, first and foremost, deliver you the, the best Toyota I can, uh, you know, uh, First, first and foremost, you know, let's 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 nail that down, and then and then if there are parts of this that needs to look like a Ferrari, then you know we can we can get into that. Uh, but uh, usually, 
uh, a, a lot of people uh, are kind of tricked uh, by that allure or the excitement of that, uh, you know, f- you know, flashy thing, and, and they uh, spend, uh, you know, so much of the initial project time, uh, you know, working on that aspect of it, uh, which then uh, leads to, you know, uh, you know, that burnout, uh, or it leads to, you know, undue uh, scrutiny uh, from from management. Uh, or you know, leading up to project cancellation. You know, there, there's nothing worse than you know working on a project for a year, a year and a half, and then uh, uh, you know it just gets canceled, uh, and, and then all that work uh, and planning goes to waste. So, uh, so matching these requirements uh, with with you know the right technology is <laughs> is is the is the challenge. Uh, Right. Uh, so there are uh, sets of technologies that are easier to work with uh, that cater to a, uh, a more inexperienced, uh, you know, technical team, uh, so to speak. You, you know, a, a good example is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, Node.js in the in the in the back end because it's easy to set up. Uh, you can you know, it also has very small, uh, uh, you know, memory footprint. It starts up quickly, so it means you can take that code and put it into a serverless function in the cloud. You can put it into a tiny container, and uh, you know, for example, you know, my various websites, I host them all in a single digital digital ocean server uh, that that uses Docker with like seven or eight containers, uh, and I just pay five dollars a month for it. Uh, right, uh, because uh, it's it's right right size. It's the right tool for for the for the right job. Uh, but you know, of course, you know, leveraging these cloud technologies, then these uh, you know uh, you know small footprint uh, uh, servers or serverless functions then can scale up to uh, you know to handle thousands of uh, concurrent requests all all at once. So so I like that flexibility, and I know others like. You know, uh, Python for for similar reasons. Uh, you know, because of its you know dynamic nature. Uh, you know, if we co- take that and co- contrast it to, for example, Java, uh, or or you know the uh, the .NET framework. Uh, you know, those frameworks are really uh, uh, you know strongly typed, uh, and also uh, you really have to know the libraries that ship. With the framework to be able to develop within that framework, uh, whereas uh, with uh, you know with Python or, or JavaScript, you're kind of getting these packages, and and it's easier to explore and uh, and and implement things. Uh, whereas uh, you know looking at a uh, the rigid structure of a of a piece of Java code or .NET uh, can be a lot more difficult. So uh, so. But if you have a team who's already really great at those technologies, you know perhaps uh, uh, you know you pick uh, a, a set of technologies that are compatible uh, with the capabilities of that team. Uh, or if you have a t- uh, you know team that's more you know green uh, and and they have a lot to learn, then yeah, absolutely, you pick a set of technologies that that will more uh, suit the the capabilities of that of that particular team. I like the many different approaches that you brought up. Um, 
I remember doing some interviews, some system design interviews, and the interviewer, whenever they they were like, okay, now this is the project, how would you um, architect the solution? Which technologies would you use? My first question to the interviewer was always, do we already have a team? Or are we going to hire the entire team from scratch? Because if we already have a team, then what have they used in the past? And how fast do we need to deliver this? Because I think this is a great point. You, you need to consider the things that your team is already proficient at. Because at the end of the day, like we, we're thinking oh, we have BUN version one. So let's start using BUN and get rid of Node because BUN is faster. It's like significantly faster. Okay, but you know what? If you really want to go faster, why would you use BUN? Why not just go directly to Rust, for example? If you, if you really want fast, why not go to Golang? So, you know, and, and, and also... What, how fast are you going to actually deliver those features? Because the end users, they are practically not very concerned about one second differences. And one second is, is big. One second, it's significant. But still, like, it's not the end of the world for users. Like, if I had to choose between having a feature released in three months and then it's like sub-millisecond or having it released in two weeks, but for some reason, some parts of it are taking one or two seconds to load, like I would go with the two weeks route, especially because then you can actually present something to the users and pivot from that because in the first alternative, you just optimize a lot, something that you don't really know if the users want. So I really like that path of being mindful about what the team is proficient in. But I think it it's also a balance. Like you can't just 100% go from whatever the team is most proficient in. Because what if the team is super proficient in the LAMP stack, for example. So um, PHP, Apache is like, I'm not saying that these are bad technologies. They are not. They are just not the greatest thing at the moment. And they are probably going to show some issues in the long run. And you won't be able to stay up to date with what the entire ecosystem is using because they are in a complete different path. So if you're choosing between uh, React and Angular, they are very similar in many ways. But if you're choosing between PHP and a single page application, then then, then that's big. So I think it, it's definitely a balance. But how far would you take that balance? Like is there any rule of thumb that people can use to try to make better decisions 
And let's even take it to a smaller level, not because I think PHP versus single page applications was a very big example. And I mean, you I just officially declared uh, that it's that it's not bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to. Not I think be the aggressive. one <laughs> if you're not getting new developer and you you can't hire them, you should. Through through that tech anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in 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 twenty twelve, I you know I was hired uh, to work on a project, uh, a system that's been live for thirty plus years, but based on mainframe technologies, and the various developer team was due to retire in the next three to five years. So they, they wanted to re- replace the system before that happened uh, so that all that detail and knowledge, you know, otherwise would, would disappear. But, you know, of course, that's another extreme concept. So uh, one, uh, you know, principle here uh, that I talk about is uh, uh, shuhari. So it, that's a, a Japanese concept uh, that, uh, you know, first lets you uh, master the basics uh, of a uh, of a technology uh, or anything really, uh, you know, without worrying about the underlying theory so much. Uh, you know, that's the shoe part, and then the ha part is is then you know master that theory, and then the re part is then adapt uh, what you mastered to your needs. Um, and uh, the the thing is, when adopting new technologies, people usually sk- skip uh, the that you know they kind of get into it, you know, without underlying the, the you know, understanding the underlying theory, and then they skip to the, okay, now I'm going to da- adapt it. I'm going to change the, the way uh, this works uh, to fit my needs. Uh, and, and that leads to uh, kind of irresponsible adoption of new technology. And so in terms of timeframes, uh, I, I challenge people to, okay, you know, let's, you know, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's brand new. Okay, we pick something brand new, but we have to agree to commit to this for the next two to three years. You know, we can't be just jumping around uh, to, you know, to, to different things all the time. We have to take our time. We have to master this uh, and, and we have to push it up. So after those two, three years, we decide this is good. Okay, let's dive deeper into it. Let's bring more of it in. Uh, let's become experts in this. But, you know, it may turn out, okay, you know, this really was not, good you know we thought this you know this technology was going to enable us to do all these cool things but turns out you know the promises that were that are made on the landing page does not really uh pan out uh when you actually you know the the rubber hits the road and and you actually try to execute it uh so and and that bun uh example is a is a is a you know great one uh because you know uh, people were even, you know, heralding the the death of Node uh, when you know Bun One was 1.0 was was released, uh, where you know because most of those people, uh, you know, haven't bothered to you know uh, you know go beyond that uh, you know basics of it uh, and and really uh, trying to uh, master you know why why Node is why it exists how how it, how it exists. Um, so, so yeah, uh, basically, you know, when you p- pick something, you know, 
first got to take your time. So this, this is why I encourage bringing in new technology uh, into side projects first, uh, kind of throwaway things, uh, proof of concepts, um, and, and, you know, you know, practice it uh, and, and, and work on it. Uh, and then after you, you, as an organization, you've gained some confidence with it and then merge it into, uh, merge it into the mainline uh, development stream as a, as a real idea. Because, uh, you know, with the balance you mentioned, you know, of course, we can't just cater to the current state of a team, uh, right? Uh, so there's, there's this idea of uh, elastic leadership uh, where, uh, you know, teams, uh, you, know, uh, you know, teams don't magically happen. Uh, you know, they need to be, you know, fostered. They need to be grown. Uh, you know, they go from a state of uh, chaos uh, uh, to, you know, all the way to uh, kind of self-learning, self-sustaining uh, team. And, and, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, this means when a team is new, you have to be more directive. You have to tell people what to do. Uh, and then, but over time, that becomes, uh, then you are a, a more of a servant leader and you're enabling people, uh, and the people are actually driving, uh, the team members are driving the decisions. Uh, so, so the, you know, uh, so there's that uh, journey of, of the team, but then there's also the architecture. Architecture itself uh, also needs to be elastic. Uh, you know, it, uh, and, and this is where kind of the tools we pick, uh, you know, co come into play. Uh, for example, you know, if you pick REST APIs uh, as your, you know, choice uh, to build out your API service, uh, you know, how that uh, API surface needs to be designed and maintained over time is going to be different versus if you choose GraphQL. Uh, and uh, because with GraphQL, you buy a ton of flexibility. You kind of, you know, build around your, you know, major data entities. And, and then the, the consumer, the client gets to choose uh, you know, how to uh, consume that API. Whereas with REST, uh, right, you have to uh, implement the same, uh, you know, way to get a data entity, you know, 20 different ways so that every screen can get the most optimum uh, kind of, uh, you know, result out of that. So, uh, so, you know, this, you know, gets into the core of the idea uh, of, you know, picking the right tool for the right job uh, is is that you know how much flexibility uh, you know does it buy you, and uh, and you know for example, uh, you know we're talking about you know say a, a team has uh, right you know a, a ton of .NET experience uh, for example a type system etc. Uh, you know if you when you if you bring that team into a you know native JavaScript project, you know they're going to struggle big time uh, because they're used to uh, the tooling, you know, giving lots of information to them right within their IDE. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you use TypeScript, you know, as a, a as a bridge bridging solution, then, uh, you know, people are going to feel a lot more familiar uh, with that. Uh, so, so that's another way to evolve from technology uh, to, to different technologies, uh, you know, with the, you know, same set of people. Uh, because you know we can't just you know fire entire teams and and hire new teams every time uh, you know we want to release a, a new project or a new product. Uh, you know we have to uh, be able to transition them, uh, and you know retraining an entire team or or reskilling an entire team with a completely new technology is an 
expensive uh, proposition, but finding those technologies that will bridge that gap, that will make uh, people more comfortable with the same ideas. Um, uh, so, yeah, if, if you take uh, a, a team who's worked on, you know, .NET for years and years, and they've only developed, you know, REST APIs, uh, and then you, uh, and they've used ASP.NET and all these, uh, all these tech, te- uh, cool technologies, you know, PHP, uh, and then, you know, throw them into, into a situation where everything is new, you know, all the tooling is new, uh, you know, you're using GraphQL versus REST and you're using, you know, React, uh, or Vue or uh, Angular or whatever, uh, you know, if you change everything that that's going to be a really difficult, uh, transition. So, so yeah, so, sometimes we have to make compromises in, in the, in the architecture. Um, but, uh, it is possible to gradually kind of, uh, it, it evolve things more, more iteratively and incrementally, um, uh, to uh, to kind of find that balance. Gotcha. So basically, use your best judgment to make the the technology decision in the first place, and after you made that judgment, then attempt to use that in a side project to actually put it into practice before uh, rolling it out to the entire rest of the application. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a black and white. You know, we pick this and we're we're married to it. Uh, because uh, Lucas, I think earlier you were saying, uh, you know, that the speed doesn't matter, uh, you know, for certain things, uh, and 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 that's uh, very correct. Uh, not every screen of every application is the most important. There is actually usually only a very few amount of uh, screens that needs to be, you know, very high performance because those are the ones that are uh, used uh, for, uh, you know, intaking. Uh, the the users in, into the workflow, uh, or the you know there could be one workflow in the application that's used by tens of thousands of people and it's used by uh, many many times a day. So that workflow needs to be absolutely optimized, right? Um, and to, that workflow can uh, be then by the more experts in the team can use different technologies and tooling behind the scenes. So it doesn't have to be one you know, one solution fits all because the rest of it, the 90% of the other things could be admin functionality that's, you know, seldom used where the performance doesn't that much matter uh, uh, or the, you know, screen loading uh, layout or design doesn't have to be optimized or, 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 uh, uh, or you know, it doesn't have to be super fast. Uh, so, and, and those can use, you know, uh, a different set of practices. So, so that's why, uh, you know, I'm mentioning that elastic architecture in, in that sense. You know, it, you know, if uh, if one page needs to be uh, because because that's what Facebook did um, uh, and, and, or, or or does. You know, the, the one of the reasons uh, why they were so much into PHP and all that uh, when they first started, uh, and then later on React with server side rendering is because they could do the expensive you know uh, rendering work on the server side and then uh, send it down to these phones that, that, are, that are years and years old, uh, you know, on all continents of the world uh, with, you know, poor internet access, uh, you know, with uh, slow speeds or limited, you know, data packets uh, or, or, or data plans that people have to buy. Uh, so so that's, a, that's an entirely different uh, kind of scenario uh, where, you know, they had to optimize 
the way they built and delivered their solution uh, to the needs of their of their audience. Um, and your project might have, you know, a sliver of functionality that is like that. Uh, so, you know, for that, you know, do things differently. But for the rest of the 90% of the things, you know, do it cheaper, right? Just use use the defaults, use the out of the box stuff, and uh, and and make it look ugly, <laughs> you know, because uh, at the end of the day, that's not your uh, value driver for your business. Yeah, I think uh, when you say right technology uh, for right, uh, right thing, one question coming to my mind, I, I think it might be a question for a lot of Angular uh, who loves Angular, and uh, why a lot of company are selecting like maybe React or Vue uh, than Angular. I, I, so why I'm asking is I, I witness a lot of companies who have developed application in Angular for four, three, four years. They are moving out from Angular to React or Vue. So like what might be the reason? So one reason which came to my mind is which is Angular solving now by standalone uh, components and uh, all the new things, control flow and everything. What you take on it, like what the enterprise or why these big companies are moving out of Angular? I am not sh- sure about the, uh, like the, the real metrics on that. Um, uh, so it's it's tough to comment on, you know, if there is indeed uh, a a big shift that is happening, uh, or 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 if it's just uh, you know, because people love to kind of uh, do, uh, you know, pit technologies against each other and, you know, cause con- controversy uh, and, and all that. Um, but, uh, you know, the concepts, uh, so, you know, the way Angular is designed, it allows for a lot of different concepts uh, uh, to be implemented within it, uh, which comes with its pros and cons, right? You know, uh, those, uh, you know, teams of engineers that are used to, uh, dealing with like rich concepts like dependency injection and all these things, you know, they they love Angular because it allows them to uh, implement a mental model that they are that mm-hmm. they already have that they're good at uh, to implement it. Uh, uh, but you know, with React, it's easier to get started faster. But uh, ultimately, if you know, if you take two projects, two teams that you know start one starts with Angular, one starts with React, and and they they're both approaching it from that superficial level without trying to dig into it. Uh, you know, two, three years down the line, they're both going to end in the same spot uh, where, you know, it's going to be a mess of, an, mess of a project uh, where everyone is complaining about everything. You know, screens are loading slow. Uh, nothing is working right. Uh, and then the desire is going to be to, you know, flip-flop, oh, we've selected React, it's not good, let's switch to Angular. Or we selected Angular, it's not good, let's switch to uh, uh, let's switch to the other framework. Um, so, you know, of course, uh, it's, uh, you know, Angular has, uh, uh, you know, under immense load, uh, Angular uh, doesn't perform well. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're building a uh, an application with, uh, you know, a thousand plus components and uh, really complex uh, screen layouts, uh, and all that, and all that, just the uh, the way the change detection is architected or implemented uh, doesn't allow for uh, uh, high performance rendering of of the screen. 
so that can that can frustrate uh, 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 you know a lot of uh, you know teams when when that happens because you know getting yourself out of out of that is uh, is you know very expensive. Uh, so uh, the the framework is evolving in the right direction with uh, in introducing the concept of a signal, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, in the next you know a few versions, uh, rolling out a, a sig- signal based components, uh, which will which allows for uh, kind of surgical uh, you know updates of of the DOM uh, and, and with you know without having to run expensive uh, change detection uh, cycles because. Uh, these features are now kind of part of uh, the the native JavaScript language. So ECMAScript 2022 uh, has these uh, you know basic uh, uh, operators uh, that are built into the language that that allows this to happen. In fact, uh, there's a uh, really cool project, uh, uh, ArrowJS. I think it's arrow-js.com. Uh, it's a uh, I think a, a two, one, one or two kilobyte uh, sized library where you can uh, build, uh, you know, super modern uh, reactive applications, uh, mm-hmm. you know, using extremely simple uh, concepts. So, uh, so Angular is kind of moving in that direction. Uh, also, especially with the standalone projects and the standalone components, uh, it's it's just removing those uh, kind of unnecessary concepts that uh, make it easier to. To get get into the get into the framework, so yeah, React from the get go uh, does allow uh, uh, you know easier entry into it. So I th- I think that is why it's it's uh, more popular. Uh, but in the long term, a a team that's not willing to uh, you know go beyond the surface level to to understand what's what's really going on uh, with these frameworks will all uh, inevitably run into the major issues, uh, you know, whatever tool they pick. Yeah, hope, hope Angular will like will raise uh, raise again like 2012, <laughs> and Angular is there. Yeah, and and of course, you know that uh, uh, you know people always remember the uh, you know more sensationalist you know mm-hmm. uh, headlines and and stories, and and that transition from Angular.js into Angular 2. Uh, you know that was that was a mess. You're like I'm kind of glad that even it even survived. You know that that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then this this transition into you know standalone uh, and signal based uh, components is a, is actually as big of a transition from Angular.js to Angular 2. Uh, but uh, you know. The benefit now is, of course, you know they can slowly introduce that because that that mechanism uh, of being able to upgrade every six months and every, all that you know exists in place. But you know, from an architectural perspective, you know, if you're already uh, built your application in in the current way of building Angular apps with you know your uh, you know observables, behavior subjects, and modules and components, uh, you know. Switching to standalone and signal-based means rewriting a ton of code. Uh, so, and and I don't think a lot of existing projects are necessarily going to, you know, go down that path, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. So yeah, uh, but you know, you know, we can, we can, you know, I can only take a step back and look and and be really encouraged with the the overall direction 
uh, that's uh, that's being taken. But you know, if if you need results today, uh, you know, I, I, earlier in the year I gave a talk on Quick, uh, Q W I K, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know that's a, f- a framework. Uh, you know that, that was uh, invented by uh, Mishko Hevery, the father of Angular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, if you want to build really fast websites or really fast tools uh, today, yeah, pull that and 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 work with that. Uh, but you know, will all that tooling you know scale up to uh, you know multiple teams you know uh, delivering code with it? Uh, that you know that that's the question. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, with Angular, we know it's proven, and with React, we know it's proven uh, that you know, massive teams can, uh, you know, uh, deliver software uh, using these tools. So it's you know it's basically you know what's new and and exciting versus what's been proven, proven to work, and you know especially at enterprise scale, uh, that that has been proven proven to work. Dohan, um, I think we could keep talking about this for, for a while, but just because we're already 50 minutes into the show, I think we should start wrapping up. But before wrapping up, before we, we even started recording, we were just uh, chit-chatting and you mentioned a take that you have on testing. And I think it would be useful to talk a little bit about that. So I know that we won't be able to dedicate an hour to this the subject, but I think it's uh, an opinion that I've I had for a while, and it was interesting that you brought that up. That I thought, hmm, maybe we should indeed share that with the audience because that might be valuable to others. So, yeah, absolutely, let's yeah. Talk a bit about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, and you know, some of the these insights, you know, you only get uh, with with time. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, you know, there's that, you know, testing pyramid, uh, right. Uh, that has the unit tests at the bottom and then you have integration tests and then you have UI tests at the, at the top. And, you know, the idea is unit tests are cheap and fast. So you should develop lots and lots of them, thousands of them, but UI tests are fragile and expensive. And and you should uh, you know use that uh, sparing, uh, so to speak. Uh, so I've uh, you know I've I've known uh, kind of uh, you know ever since I've I've dug into uh, Angular unit testing is you know Angular unit testing is not really unit testing uh, because uh, unit testing would be uh, really uh, you know testing just what's in the function uh, you know. Uh, that's not trying to reach out to a network or that's not trying to manipulate a DOM element. Uh, with Angular, uh, with the test harness, uh, the unit, you're actually testing the, the class behind the component and then the presentation uh, coupled together. So, um, and, uh, you know, the setup of, of the test harness uh, sometimes can be so burdensome uh, that, uh, you know, what you end up actually testing is, ha- have I actually correctly configured the test harness or not? Uh, you know, versus testing something useful about that component. Because just, just getting to that, like, does this component render uh, test? Uh, 
it requires so much uh, you know time, energy, and uh, and and configuration. Uh, and on top of that, it's actually slow. Uh, so if you have thousands of uh, tests, uh, you know, run, running those can take you know 10, 15 minutes, uh, which is an eternity if you're trying to uh, you know fast. Uh, you know, to do a fast turnaround on, on a small change. You know, of course, there are tools like, you know, NX that can cache, you know, build results or test results and then, you know, uh, you know, you know, basically hack around uh, the shortcomings of, <laughs> of the actual framework uh, or what you're trying to do uh, to make things faster. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're spending development time, uh, you know, pouring yourself into trying to get this thing to work. Um, so uh, recently, or you know, as I've been kind of going through, uh, you know, looking at the teams that I work with, you know, what they're going through, and you know, as I'm going through updating my book for the third edition, um, I've really started questioning the usefulness of these of these uh, you know so-called unit tests. You know, they're you know, you know, they're they're not unit tests <laughs> by the actual definition of what a unit test is, uh, but. Um, and uh, I've also started uh, using uh, 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 GitHub Copilot as an as an experiment, um, and uh, uh, you know, and then I I wanted to generate uh, some you know UI tests uh, for my uh, sample projects uh, uh, that that support the content of my book, and uh, and I was shocked as, as I was using Copilot how quickly like using Cypress. Uh, I was able to, you know, pump out uh, these UI tests that uh, reached, you know, near 100% coverage uh, of 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 the code base, and and they were, uh, you know, really easy to implement. And especially with the with the copilot, it can, you know, give you chunks and chunks of tests uh, automatically. It can write them for you. It can even understand the 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 test IDs that you embedded in. Uh, in your HTML, and it can automatically pull them for you um, in, in, in the suggestions. And, and you know, I was just shocked how quickly uh, I could, uh, you know, uh, get coverage that actually tests what I developed. Uh, you know, not some, uh, you know, mid-step representation of it, but no, the the actual real thing. I mean, you know, just testing does it render is is one line of code like with no setup required uh so uh i am uh you know more and more convinced that we shouldn't be wasting our time uh with uh with these like component uh unit tests there there is a place for them uh so if you know f- you know first off if you're if you're kind of breaking architectural patterns and you're implementing business logic within the client side code uh you know, that should definitely be like that service code or that particular function with those if statements in them. That should be unit tested separately and properly, not with the test harness and all those things. That should be just, you know, basic uh, unit testing of that function. Um, and uh, and then also if you're shipping components uh, for other developer teams to use or, or it's your product, absolutely, like test that component, uh, you know, until... <laughs> Until there is no, you know, you know, testing left because, uh, uh, but but if if your end user is 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 the the person who's using the website, 
not the components, you know, you're, because uh, the people who go to your website that you built, they're not using your components, they're using your website that you built. Then that test it, uh, or, you know, let, let me put this out there as a challenge. Experiment with uh, using Cypress uh, more and more. Uh, there are ways to get coverage metrics uh, out of uh, uh, using uh, Cypress as well. Uh, and, and see just how much coverage you can get, uh, real useful coverage uh, uh, you can get uh, versus compared to uh, those those unit tests where, uh, you, know, you know, as a challenge, perhaps, you know, pull out your unit tests with your team and go through them and really question, okay, what is this actually testing? And like, do we really need to be testing if NGF works or not? Because, you know, at this point, like your unit test should never be testing the underlying framework. Right, we shouldn't be testing. You know, does does Angular work? Does NGF work? Does uh, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's my that's my hot hot take. And I agree with that. I think people spend too much time. We we used to spend. Uh, I think this migration has already started a while ago, but just nobody talked about it <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, if you look at the Angular docs, you're going to see an, an entire section for testing and it will explain the testing module and et cetera. And I think there's still a place for that, especially if you're testing. Like I, I do a lot of state management tests. So how your data stores are reacting to the requests that you're making to them, if, if they are... Um, using the cache or if they are updating the cache, like all, all those behaviors, I think it's correct to test them using the testing module that Angular provides. Because if you try to test that with Cypress, then it would be uh, awful. Also, if you're just testing pure functions and things like that, definitely. But yeah, I don't know why we spent so much time like testing component interactions that way. Like component click should change this property in this class and then it should <laughs> you should be able to see this element. It's like, dude, <laughs> why not just use Cypress to and run a click command and see if the element is there afterwards? It's so much easier. And most importantly, I think, it's much more future-proof because I love Angular, but you never really know how long a technology is going to last. Um, I mean, React, I don't know how long it's going to last. So the more you can make things work without depending on other technologies in your stack, the better you are, I think. There's also a downside to this up. Of course, like if you have more integration, sometimes you can get away with doing less because it automatically integrates with your with your stack. So um, that's good, but I think it's it's a difficult decision, and I lean much more towards using technologies that can work with whatever tech stack I choose. It buys you that flexibility. Right. Yeah. And exactly. also, if you ever have to rewrite that app, uh, you can copy paste your Cypress tests and run it on the on the on the new stack that is being developed uh, for to verify its functionality. Right. So, yep. Yeah, flex, I, I go as far. 
I go as far as, for example, if I'm testing an API, like a REST API or a GraphQL API, I don't like to use tools like SuperTest that you just expose the um, Express application or even the Node.js HTTP server class. I don't like that because I don't think that the tests should care if I am using Express. I don't think the tests should care if I'm using Node. You know, if I want to switch from Node to anything, uh, I should be able to do that and the tests should not care. So if I'm doing tests for an API, I am literally going to call the, um, going to make HTTP requests to, to the server. So I put all all my backend in a Docker container. I spin up the container and I just make requests to it. It's just a black box. Yep. It doesn't matter which technology is using. Uh, yes, the tests run slower. It takes longer. Sometimes it's a pain in the ass when you're waiting for CI to conclude. But I really appreciate the flexibility of it. Yeah, and you know, once again, your uh, service layer. Uh, that contains your actual or your business layer uh, of your backend. You know that contains your actual business logic. Uh, you know, test those with you know real unit tests that actually you know because you know you can iterate through so many options so quickly uh, with that. But but yeah, outside of that, uh, I mean, I you know in all my projects, I disable the controller layer code from code coverage metrics because I don't want anybody to test. The framework's ability to dependency inject or or route uh, route requests, <laughs> you know, you know uh, because so that's why we're using a framework, uh, yeah. you know, and not implementing this stuff from from our scratch. Yeah, I think this also makes things like if you're using Sonar and not configuring pretty well, and you try to cover everything that okay, ninety percent is yeah. not covered, and people are trying to do as best they can to like go and each each click a button, take check the text of the button just to cover everything. Yeah. I, yeah. I love executives who love to look at metrics uh, to, to determine su- success. But uh, I, you know, once again, like to challenge, you know, both the people who are trying to achieve those metrics and the people who are asking for those metrics to really think about what that metric is actually measuring. So. Yep. All right. So um, thank you, Bohan, for being on the show. Thank you, I hope you- thank you Sabret. I hope we come back more because I think it was really valuable and we definitely have some 50 plus hours of content to extract from you. So (laughs) feel free to come back anytime. It was a pleasure having you. And yeah. Oh, oh, and before we, we really finish the show, um, do you want to promote anything? I mean, you have a lot of things that I believe you would like to promote. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to um, uh, promote uh, the upcoming third edition of my book. Um, you can sign up to get updates about it on angularforenterprise.com. And um, it's it's been completely overhauled uh, to uh, showcase both established and cutting-edge patterns side-by-side, uh, for, you know, including creating standalone projects with the new router, uh, change detection, and state management signals. Uh, using both uh, REST or uh, GraphQL APIs. Uh, so uh, it sh- should be coming out sometime in November, hopefully. Uh, yep, angularforenterprise.com. Awesome. 
Okay. Um, so Brett, what would you like to promote? Yeah, as usual, I think I would like to promote my channel, which is Fun of Heuristic. So guys, please go and have a look. I had just started uh, doing on Nest.js. So I thought like it's a framework built for Angular developer if they want to learn anything on backend. So I was thinking long back, but I thought to start now because uh, I don't have much uh, things to do. Like I think I almost cover a lot on Angular. So it's now time to go for Nest and I'll try to do both as a full stack development. So just go and have a look on that. I actually saw that uh, that video. Um, I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch it entirely, but just because I already knew the yeah. content. But I saw the thumbnail and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Subreddit is talking about Nest. Uh, l- let, me, let me have a quick look. Um, but yeah, man, I've been using Nest a lot uh, in the past months. And my first reaction was that, oh, that, that looks super complete, very interesting. And then started using it and I got a bit pissed off that I couldn't use my functional programming paradigms in the backend as much because it depended so much on, on object-oriented programming. Mm-hmm. But then I eventually came back to it because I found ways to still use my functional programming patterns and uh, still adopt Nest because I looked at the alternatives and I saw none that there were as complete uh, as it. Like it's really well thought out. I even I took a look at Marble.js, which has a more functional programming apo- approach, but it's not even um, very well maintained. I think the last commit was almost a year ago or something. So I got really scared about choosing a technology and then finding myself in that situation. I think that aligns well with what we were talking about in the show. (laughs) (laughs) I got really afraid of choosing a technology and then losing support for the entire framework that I chose to use. So I am just 100% nest. Um, For every project in which we have power to the side, we are using nest. Mm-hmm. for everything at Envoy. So, of course, if there's a, pro- a project that the client wants to use another backend technology, no problem whatsoever. But if we have freedom to choose, we're we're using Nest for everything. And it's just so good when you have everything using the same framework. You can reuse a lot of your knowledge, a lot of patterns. Um, some, some companies even... Uh, get afraid of like, oh, but are they going to reuse the code for my code base and other client projects? But like, no, and we don't need to because it's about reusing the patterns. It's like the your business-specific code isn't even reusable for, for other projects. Like, don't, don't get afraid about that because there's nothing to use there. But the patterns about how the code is organized and how the responsibilities are isolated that is extremely valuable and makes us really more proficient for other projects. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to promote my company, um, Envoyed, as I said in the beginning of, of the show. 
and we offer performance-based web developments. So it's a very simple concept. Clients only pay for the tasks that are delivered and approved. So we don't just deliver the tasks and say, give me the money. No, we deliver the tasks and we ask, hey, is that what you were expecting? Is that aligned with uh, what you need? Does that uh, comply with the requirements of the task? And then once the tasks are approved, then we mark them as billable and then we received based on that. So we are basically taking out every risk there is in outsourcing. If you have a company and you either need staff augmentation or you want to completely outsource a project, um, there are so many doubts about how to make that work, how to find the best partner for your business. And we are just doing everything in our power to remove those doubts 100%. So if we go over time, you don't need to care about that. You're just going to pay for the value of the task that we are doing. And if that took us more than we expected, that's our problem. And yeah, so we're just trying to become the best partner for companies because we think a lot of companies are choosing to go 100% in-house and doing everything in-house. And that's coming a lot from an insecurity of if I try to outsource, it's not going to work. They're not going to do quality work. They're not going to deliver things on time. And the truth is that happens a lot when you try to outsource a project. That happens a lot when you try to hire freelancers. But we can't just say, hey, this is not going to work with us. We need to actually give you guarantees. And that's what we are doing. So if you're interested in that, or if you know somebody that is interested in uh, a staff augmentation or outsourcing a project or a side project of your company, and you want actual guaranteed results, then take a look at Envoyed.com. We might be a perfect fit for your needs. So that's it. Uh, this was a very long episode and I feel like it was just five minutes because time flew so fast. It was, it was great, really. So Dohang, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Please come back whenever you want. And congratulations on all your books. It's really amazing the amount of content that you produced. And for everyone that is listening to the show, it doesn't matter if you feel extremely proficient in Angular. I highly encourage you to check out Dohan's books because they are going to give you a more complete view of how to be valuable in your company, not just how to be an excellent Angular developer, but how to really understand how the business thinks about technology and how to talk the same language as the on the directors of your company and they will be able to see you as a much more valuable developer because of that. And that might take you into a very interesting career. Maybe you become an engineering manager, a CTO, or even a founder yourself in the future because you started learning how the business side thinks about technology. So I highly encourage. Dohan, again, what's the link? AngularForEnterprise.com angularforenterprise.com. Okay, 
that's it. Thank you all for sticking with us for so long in this episode. Have a great week and I'll see you in the next one.